This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G, presented by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Ninety-seven five twelve eighty, the Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Hansels and Scott Gerard joining us now to talk NBA draft, NBA free agency, NBA trades is uh, one of our favorite dudes on the planet, uh, Ben Anderson from KSL Sports, as well as our jazz pre-half and post-game shows. Ben, how you doing? Good. How are you guys? Doing good. Happy Monday, Bundy. Never going to live that down. What a weird legacy for my dad to establish that about uh, 30 years before I was born. That was nice of him. Scotty, way to bring that around. Scotty and I were just going back and forth with Lloyd, and we're like, we can't bring Ben on, on any other day except for Friday so we can say, see you Monday, Bundy. So, Scotty, way to adjust it. Well, i got to work it in. It's like our highest, most downloaded uh, show we've ever had on this radio station because <laughs> that sucker went viral. Well, I'm trying to just do my best. Yeah, well, we appreciate it. It helped out. Uh, so, Ben, uh, there's so much to, to talk about because, frankly, we had about uh, a month worth of normal uh, offseason crammed into about five days. So let's first start with the draft. Uh, what were your impressions? I, I got a sneaking suspicion you were surprised among a lot of us uh, with the Jazz first-round pick. Yeah, I was very surprised, and I was even a little bit more surprised after they went out and signed Derek Favors, and I'm sure we'll get to that, but – You know, they went out and got a position where there's pretty reasonable depth uh, in the NBA and in free agency to sign these guys. Now, with that said, and maybe it was foresight on the Jazz's part, you know, Mason Plumlee signed an enormous deal uh, and got a bunch of money as a backup center. We saw Myers Leonard as a backup center get a bunch of money to return to Miami. So maybe actually that market is a little more difficult to compete in than I thought it was going to be on draft night. But understanding that the Jazz have the, one of the best centers in the NBA, we're likely to go out and sign one of the best backups in the NBA to then add depth to that position with Yudoka Azabuki. My thought was either the Jazz are looking for Rudy Gobert's replacement eventually or feel like this guy is just such a can't-miss prospect that's worth getting him at 27, but that really isn't a thing that exists. You don't find can't-miss guys that late in the draft. Ben, I want to... I want to have you give us kind of an encompassed grade of all things draft, free agency, and like. And I and I want you to almost do it on a curve where you're taking into consideration what the Lakers did and what other teams have done uh, in, in preparation to, to kick off this season. Give us a, an overall grade of what they've done to this point. So if we're going on a curve, let's say the Jazz are in the top. There's 30 teams in the NBA. The Jazz had one of the top 10 off-seasons in the NBA so far, and they did that because they re-signed Jordan Clarkson, who was one of the best free agents available. I think they did it at a pretty reasonable price. They addressed a need in getting Derek Favors back to come in and kind of shore up that defense in the second unit. They got Donovan Mitchell extended, which I think was the top priority. You just need to have your star. And he was going to do it, but you still had to do it at a certain point. You knew it was going to happen. You're still happy to do it. Let's see what they do with Rudy Gobert and what that contract looks like if they can get a deal done. Uh, I think that could increase their grade or hurt their grade, depending on how much it costs. But if they're in the top 30% of the league and one of the top 10 performances so far, and probably you know maybe top seven, top eight, I, I think that's a very solid B to this point. They didn't 
drastically changed the outlook of their team, but they didn't get worse. And teams get worse. I mean, Denver is in a much yeah. worse position today than they were a week ago. Yeah, no doubt about that. And uh, that's certainly – I know when you saw, you know, some of those players leave Denver, I think a lot of people were pretty fired up here uh, that are fans of the Utah Jazz. So let's get back to uh, – I, I, I want to talk about free agency. So you get Derek Favors, which is awesome. You re-sign Jordan Clarkson. Uh, Clarkson at about 13 per. We had Gordy Chiesa on on Friday. He thought it might be closer to 15. Do you feel like the Jazz were able to – uh, that that was a, not just a successful opportunity to get, get him back, but the number they got him back at. Yeah, I, I think it's a fair number. And maybe the thing the Jazz did to keep that number low was they added a fourth year. And you just don't see a lot of four-year contracts anymore. I mean, that used to kind of be the standard in the NBA. Yeah. Guys are doing a lot more three years or two year with a player option. There's even a lot of guys signing one-year deals, trying to hit the market again next season when there's going to be a lot more money. Uh, so I actually think it's a good deal, and I'm decidedly pro-Jordan Clarkson. I know he's a little bit controversial for some Jazz fans because he'll have a bad game once every four or five games. But I think the other three, he relieves so much pressure on the other guys on the team who aren't natural scorers. He makes Joe Ingles' life easier. He makes Royce O'Neal's life easier. I think he really makes Donovan Mitchell's life easy. I, and, and I actually think he's a great culture piece, which is funny. I, I mean, I didn't know that much about him, honestly, come when he was traded to the Jazz. I just kind of knew him as the microwave scorer, six man who had a little bit of a weird L.A. background from his time at the Lakers and then kind of fell out of favor in Cleveland. So I thought, OK, that's it's a gamble. He's so much better in the locker room and his impact was so immediately felt as far as he just kind of relaxes everything. He's just a very normal, calm guy who's got a cool attitude. I think Quinn Snyder really likes him. So I think culturally, he was a very important piece of the Jazz puzzle, and he's worth the money that they signed him to. Absolutely, on a yearly basis, that, that's a great deal. You know, Ben, uh, this station had Coach Bayheim on to talk about Elijah, the 39th pick of the NBA draft here to the Utah Jazz. And I, I was listening to that interview, and I, I know that he has to be somewhat of a salesman. It's maybe a recruiting opportunity for him, and you know, here he is in this state talking about the 39th pick. So he's definitely going to pump him up. But, man, he sold it. He sold it like Elijah's going to be an, a real attribute to the Utah Jazz. Give us your thoughts on, on that 39th pick and what you expect to see from him. Hans, I'm really curious your breakdown when it comes to NFL draft film on how often this has to happen. He has to completely change his game to make it in the NBA because right now he's like a ball in hand puts the ball on the floor a lot attacks isolations pulls up for mid-range jump shots there's just no reason for him to do that in a jazz uniform because Donovan Mitchell does it better Jordan Clarkson does it better Joe Ingles does it better Mike Conley does it better I mean so many guys on the jazz already have that skill that they don't need it from Elijah Hughes so what he needs to do is get open and Quinn Snyder's offense gets you open it just naturally generates good shots and then shoot the ball when he's open and he needs to make it. Now he only shot about what 34, 35% in college. He shoots better than that. His percentage doesn't pass the eye test compared to what you see on film where the ball goes in a lot. He's got a very pretty shot. He can shoot from really deep. I mean, he really has legit NBA range. I think he was just asked to do too much at Syracuse. Now he needs to dial that back. Can he edit those parts out of his game? Can he just be a catch and shoot player for now? And then next season or two seasons from now, from now, when teams really adjust and say, hey, we got to close out on this guy. We really got to keep a defender close. Then he catches and pump fakes and let the defender fly by him. 
and he goes to 15 feet and hits a jump shot or goes to 15 feet and finds Joe Ingles or Jordan Clarkson or Mike Conley in the corner. That's kind of his evolution, but he needs to start by devolving, by stepping back and, and simplifying his game. And if he can do that, I actually think he can be pretty good. He needs to prove he can play defense. Guys at Syracuse don't really show it in college, but there's actually a couple of pretty good defensive players from Syracuse now in the NBA. So those are the questions. His game's got to change. Some guys can really do it. Some guys can't do it at all. I, I really like and appreciate the comparison. And, you know, there, when you mentioned that, a couple of thoughts come to mind. You've got tight ends and linebackers that will be pushed into long snapping just to make it in the NFL. They'll just say, hey, we're not even looking at just go long snap. And then they'll long snap, get in for two years, and then maybe make it in another position group. Uh, Brett Kiesel, I remember Brett Kiesel came out of BYU, and the Steelers were like, well, we don't have room for you, but if you can run down and cover kicks, then we'd love to have you do that. And he did that, and he was extremely good at it. And, of course, that worked him into uh, whatever 14-year probably Hall of Fame career. So the guys, it, what it takes, I think, Ben, is it's the guys with no ego that come in completely open to the change. The athleticism's there. They can make the change, but it's having to be open. Like Tim Tebow, they're like, hey, let's, but you, Tim, let's make you a tight end. Tim re- refused. He didn't want to really put his time and resources into it. So he's out. So I guess it just comes down to is this guy able to set his ego aside and, and listen to Quinn and not just listen but absorb? So I'm, I'm excited to see if he's able to do that because I, I do think he could be a valuable piece if he does. Yeah, and, and I mean, he's a guard, and he's 6'6", and he has long arms. I mean, they, he has an NBA body, no question. And, and you know, maybe the comparisons, Taysom Hill, who, who, you know, had to come in and change his game, and now he's flourishing and was great yesterday. Who was the quarterback that played at Ohio State, who's made it as a wide receiver and played for a few years? I mean, there's certainly – it translates across sports. We, we do see those guys work out. There's a reason he fell out of the first round. He is older than a lot of the other guys that are – uh, just juniors because he sat out a year because he transferred from East Carolina to Syracuse. So there's question marks. It's a second-round pick. It's a gamble. I, I think it's a pretty good gamble. The 39th pick is generally a, a good place to land players that have a chance to make it. Uh, they certainly could have done worse with that 39th pick. There's a couple of guys I liked at that spot that were probably a little bit safer. But why not take a little bit of a swing at the fence because they went pretty safe in the first round. How much better are the Utah Jazz with Derek Favors back on the roster? I think they're considerably better. Uh, I think it really shores up, A, what was probably the weakest part of their rotation, at least in the postseason. I mean, Tony Bradley really just had a hard time being on the floor. You played Juwan Morgan, and he gave you some pretty good minutes, but he shouldn't be out there. You were testing Jarrell Brantley. Again, he's just not ready at this point. So they addressed a major need. It's going to make Joe Ingles significantly better, at least it should, because he's so good running the pick and roll when he has a player who knows how to roll to the hoop, and, and that's what Derek Favors does. So it, it should not only improve what they weren't getting from Tony Bradley, it should improve what they are getting from Joe Ingles and get that back to where it was. So it, it's, a, it's a definite plus. And you know what? If Rudy Gobert gets hurt, if he misses 10 games, if he's not a part of the long-term plan, Derek Favors is not at all a bad option to have, even if you're just trying to get to the next guy. Favors can step in and start. He was really good for the Pelicans last year as a starter. In fact, he averaged a career high in rebounds. So there's still a lot of good basketball left in Derek Favors. You know, Scotty's question and, and your conversation kind of sparked a thought. I, I, I wanted you to remind me, why did the Jazz agree to a trade with Favors to the Pelicans originally in the first place? Why, why did they send him? Because sometimes you've got to look at that and think, well, why did they originally 
move him down the line. So, I mean, the first place was just to clear room for Mike Conley and, and Boyan Bogdanovich to, to just have enough cap space to bring him back. One of the things the Jazz did that was really smart, though, instead of just kind of letting him walk where they knew the Pelicans were interested, and we've seen a couple of teams do this, uh, do this this offseason as well. I believe Detroit and Denver got this done with the Jeremy Grant deal, is they actually ended up agreeing to a sign-in trade. And what the Jazz got back was a second-round pick, and it kind of seemed like a throwaway at the time, but they've since used that second-round pick, I think, to either send off Ed Davis to clear more room, which is funny because they used that room, to sign Derek Favors, or uh, they used it uh, in another trade to get back, uh, I think, uh, this piece that they just acquired, which is Elijah Hughes, who we were just talking about. I think that might have been one of those second-round picks. So they found a little extra piece, and it seemed insignificant at the time, but but it ends up paying off. And those second-round picks sell for three and a half, four, four and a half million dollars sometimes. So it, it was a smart move when they did it. They got an additional piece. And you know what? I think actually one of the smart things the Jazz did a couple of years ago was they gave Derek Favors two years and $32 million when they probably could have gotten him for two years and maybe $28 million, maybe a little bit less. I don't know if anyone else was going to offer him that full $16 million that he got. But they had gray area above the cap by owning his bird rights to spend money on him and give him a little extra and probably stay in his good graces, show that they, you know, they, they valued him. And that might be one of the reasons he came back this year. Ben Anderson, kind enough to join us, NBA Insider, right here on the Zone Sports Network. Uh, you know how Twitter is. People get fired up when they see things and automatically hit the panic button. Uh, should Jazz fans be – do you read anything into the fact that it's a player option on the fifth year for uh, Donovan Mitchell? Uh, the same thing, I believe, that uh, uh, I, I, that's kind of going around the rest of the league right now with some of these guys that are getting their max contracts. Yeah, Jason Tatum signed one yep. as well. Now, Devin Booker didn't. Ben Simmons didn't. So some of the other guys that are close in this class, uh, they didn't get that deal. Well, I, I wouldn't panic about it if I was a Jazz fan. I mean, I, I think it's more going to be the standard going forward. And maybe Donovan Mitchell, you know, broke those floodgates. And, and now everyone's going to demand it because Donovan Mitchell got it when before some of the other guys weren't. Uh, but we'll see what happens with Bam Adebayo. They might not even extend him this season. They might have to wait till next offseason so they can preserve some cap space in Miami. But, look, the, the, the league is getting more and more player-controlled. I mean, we know that. James Harden's going to be in Brooklyn at some point. Now, how? I don't know. Is he going to get equal value in return? Absolutely, he's not going to. But players run the league, you know. Uh, they get to choose where they want to go, even if they already have contracts. So I think what you have to do is be a little bit flexible with your players. There's a little bit of a give and take. The Jazz give Donovan Mitchell the player option. That feels like a win for his camp. They got the five years instead of a shorter deal. That's a huge win for the Jazz, in my opinion. I know I've heard it on your station before. I want to say it was Phil Johnson came on and said, we knew when Darren Williams signed a three-year deal, he told us when he was leaving. That's not what's happening with Donovan Mitchell. I mean, he didn't sign a shorter deal. He just has an extra option in his final year, which is smart. If he gets hurt, now he knows he gets to opt into that. If he was only at you know four years and the Jazz didn't get him for the fifth year, they might have been a little bit more concerned. So, no, I wouldn't be concerned. I think it's a sign of players getting more control more so than it is Donovan Mitchell saying, hey, I'm eyeing free agency and I can't wait to leave Utah. He seems happy here. He likes it here. He seems to like his teammates. He likes the coaches. The city has been over backwards to make him happy, but certainly people are making sure that he feels special here in a way that no player ever has. Well, and, I mean, just look at anybody. If you get an opportunity to get to that 35%, if he continues on this trajectory he's on, and you can get to that 35% plateau, a little quicker uh, a year sooner than you normally would, then by all means, you got to take advantage of that. And also, I mean, it's 
at least four years from now. And that doesn't include next season where he's already in the contract. So it's only yeah. five years before you have to worry about it. I mean, five years in the NBA? Mm-hmm. Are we confident the Jazz front office is going to, are going to be the same people? Like, what would you put that at? 70%? 60%? I mean, maybe that high? You don't know how quickly teams are going to leave, change. Justin Zanuck has left and come back over the last couple of years. You don't know what Rudy Gobert is going to look like. You don't know who the head coach is going to be. I mean, ownership changed in the last six months that nobody saw coming. So worrying about five years from now in the NBA is ludicrous. You don't know what the rest of the league is going to look like at all. Ben, kind of walk the listeners through a jazz timeline. And now that the draft is over and they've gotten through a lot of this free agency, give them a timeline of when they show up on the court and what to expect through camp and then obviously the opener. Yeah, so you've got to finish out filling out your roster, and they've got a bunch of non-guaranteed contracts of, of guys they can bring back. Other than Rudy Gobert, I wouldn't expect any major news. I mean, they really don't have money to sign anyone important. So they're going to finish that up over the next couple of weeks. December 1st, guys can start reporting for individual workouts. Now they can go into the building. They're getting tested at ZBBC, the Zions Bank basketball campus, uh, where the practice facility is. They work out individually for about five days just to make sure everyone's testing without coronavirus uh, and are ready to start playing in a team format. Then I believe it's the fifth or sixth that the teams can start playing together. Then they warm up uh, 17th or 18th, kind of those late teens in December. Teams are being asked to host at least one home preseason game. I guess if you have to play two, you'll host one and you'll travel for one. Maybe they only end up doing one that they host, but I guess it's a we'll scratch your back if you scratch mine type of thing, and, and they'll kind of just do a home-and-home home with the team. And then December 22nd, the first games are going to start. Now, I don't know if that's a 15-game schedule. I don't know if that's a four-game schedule, and then everyone kicks off on the 23rd. I would suspect there's probably some interest in the Jazz playing on Christmas. I, I think they were a good enough team. Donovan Mitchell's a big enough star that they might want to roll that out. So I think there's a chance they could play Christmas Day. I'd keep an eye on that. But that's probably what the next what month and two days looks like. What is the timeline on uh, when a deal can get done with Rudy Gobert? Uh, I don't know how late they can sign it. Generally, you can go up to October 30th, but this isn't that type of season, obviously, yeah. You know, because we've kicked this back. And usually the NBA season has already started by that point. So it might go up a little bit into November, maybe early December. But, but I don't know how quickly, because he's going to hit unrestricted free agency, how quickly they actually have to have that deal done. I, I would be surprised if it doesn't get done this week. I, I don't think pushing that deadline is going to be terribly obvious. And if it doesn't, it's because the two sides are so far apart. I mean, I don't think the Jazz are going to be willing to add $50 million to a deal if they say, hey, you're worth the same deal that we gave Donovan Mitchell, $193 million if you hit all your bonuses. And Rudy's camp is saying, no, we're worth the full Supermax. We want $50 million a year average at five years and 250 I would be surprised if the Jazz felt any inclination to sign that right away. Who's more disgusted with Gordon Hayward, Jazz fans still or Boston fans now? Oh, Boston fans. At least Jazz got an all-star appearance out of him. Boston fans, I mean, they signed him. They never got the all-star. And, look, he broke his ankle in in a horrific way. And and we can't pretend that that didn't alter the direction of his future. But we saw the ultimate Gordon Hayward, in my opinion. And, again, it's not a slam on him. It's just how he approaches life. I think a lot of people approach uh, the world this way. He wanted to go play in Indiana, and that's where the sentiment was, and that was his hometown. And it kind of seemed like, okay, maybe this is this good story of, of Gordon Hayward returning home, and they just need to figure out a way for him to get there. And then what happened? As soon as the most money came for him that allowed him to get what he ultimately wanted, which was the cash, and to be the guy, 
he took that. He won't take a discount for sentimentality. He just doesn't have that type of heart or emotion towards people. And again, it's not an insult to him. It's not a bad way. I just think it kind of captures who he is. He's going to look out for Gordon Hayward first. He doesn't really care about the impression it makes for other people. He's happy to go play in Charlotte, even though it's clearly not the best situation of a landing spot that he could have found himself in. He didn't want to wait for Boston to get a deal. He's just, he's always kind of looking out for Gordon. And that's fine. That, that's how he wants to run it. He's been very successful. He's going to be one of the first players, maybe the only player in NBA history to make over $200 million with only one all-star appearance. I mean, I don't <laughs> think he makes it in Charlotte now because you look at the talent that's in the East. You have Jimmy Butler, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Malcolm Brogdon, Victor Oladipo. It might be James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. Like the East is loaded again at the spots that Gordon Hayward's trying to make an all-star game. And it might be LaMelo's team anyways. Hey, uh, before we let you go, um, I know you had a chance to sit down with him and have a good conversation. Uh, wh- what about Sam Merrill's uh, fit in, in Milwaukee? Do you feel like that's a good place for him? I actually love it. I, I think it's just about perfect because there, there's a, his, I mean, his comps aren't perfect, and he's kind of a weird NBA player. Uh, but if I were to look at it, like maybe his stationary role is if he's Kyle Korver and he just runs off screens and hits threes, and, and that's exactly what Mike Budenholzer had last year in Kyle Korver or they were going out to try and trade for Bogdan Bogdanovich. And Bogdan Bogdanovich is kind of a big two guard who really shoots, who has average athleticism. Okay, well, that's also Sam Merrill. So they had a role that they wanted Bogdanovich to fill. They did have a guy in Kyle Korver who plays a little bit of the same thing. I I think they know how to use him. And you know what's actually kind of funny? They give up the most open threes in the NBA. If I were a a team like Milwaukee or if I were uh, a Sam Merrill, and I know that my strength or my, my biggest weakness, I should say, is going to be getting out to close out on defenders, staying in front of guys. I feel like I'm in pretty good shape if I've got Giannis Antetokounmpo and Brooke Lopez behind me, backing me up. So I think it's a good fit. I, I think they can use him. They traded George Hill, so they lost the major three-point shooting. I actually think he makes it. I, I hope he gets some opportunity. Ben, I'm going to give you the benefit of doubt and say that you did not hear his master's joke. Okay. So it was right as the thing started. If you're talking about my uh, my interview with him, it was kind of right as it started, and I was making sure the video was running because we use this, this this app, and I was uh-huh. listening to it, and I felt so bad because I went back and watched it, and he laughed, and it was actually a funny joke. And, it was. And I missed it, and I'm sure I made him feel stupid, which you don't ever want to make anyone feel stupid. You certainly don't want to make a college kid feel stupid. So I felt so bad after that. That, that I just kind of wasn't – I wasn't even paying attention because it was just kind of the intro. And not to be bad, I mean, that's my job to pay attention. I blew it there, certainly. But I felt so bad that I didn't laugh at that joke because it was fine. I was just kind of preoccupied making sure everything was up and running smoothly. We, we, we may have played that on the air. And that's why I wanted to get it out in the open, <laughs> Ben, because I, I know you're, you're one of the, the, the highest-level professionals I listen to or I go back and I'll, I'll listen to your interviews and those things. I, I think you're incredible with that stuff. and. And when it happened, I was like, oh, man, we got to give Ben an opportunity to explain himself because I, we did have Sam on, and I asked Sam about it, and he's like, no, like, legit, that was embarrassing. <laughs> I feel so bad about that. I felt so stupid because I went back and I edited the audio, and I listened to it, and I thought, I just missed it because, yes, I mean, you just know you're bringing somebody on. You're trying to kind of coordinate, okay, what's he going to say? How am I going to get to my next question? There's, there's a process that goes into it, and I blew it. And also, I'm rusty. I haven't been a lot of interviews like that so for a couple of years now. So I, I blew it. I apologize to Sam Merrill. He did just get a $1.5 million guaranteed. He's so fine. Yeah. forgotten yeah. that I ever existed, which is probably the right <laughs> way to do it. 
You know what? I've done. I've had a lot of interviews with Sam over the last three years, and he's sneaky funny. Yeah, like he, he's got to be ready. He's very sly with his humor for sure. But uh, hey, Ben, you're the best man. Uh, great coverage as always. We appreciate it. Thanks for making some time for us. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, we'll talk soon. Ben Anderson, right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network.